Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a good friend of mine on the program with me. You say, Brian, every time you bring somebody in, they're a good friend of yours, or you have a treat for us. And I do. I have, I'm blessed to have a great network of friends that I can call on to share their stories with you. And today is no different. My guest today is Alex Smith. Not the Washington Redskins quarterback. That would be a huge get. And, and he and I both would kind of flip out over that one. Yeah. But, um, but Alex Smith is the host of the Stories of Selling Human podcast and is also a sales champion. He's a, a mentor, a leader, a coach in the sales industry. And Alex has got a lot to, to contribute and a lot to say. But he's going to say it right here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Alex how are you today? Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I love it. I love it, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. That was a great introduction. Uh, Why try? I'm really Absolutely. happy to be here, man. You bring the energy. I love it. I love it. Well, and I, I, I will offer some better insights than um, maybe you're going to ever find from um, our good friend, Alex Smith, the quarterback, I promise. <laughs> well, if we were looking for insights on surgeries on your lower right leg, then he's maybe. our guy. Yeah, yeah, our guy. this isn't the, the surgery this podcast. Isn't, yeah, this yeah. isn't the intentional surgery podcast. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on this morning because, and, and again, you, you talk about the introductions. The conversations, we, you make the introductions good enough, people will go, well, yeah, that's really good. Let's, let's, let's stay with the rest of the conversation. So let's dive in this morning, Alex. What made you decide? I know the reasons I decided to podcast. I wanted to tell really cool stories of people that I knew and, and, and wanted to bring an encouragement piece to, to anybody in all walks of life. You decided to podcast for a different reason. What was the the impetus behind you getting into the podcast game? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think, uh, you know, somebody gave me a great piece of advice early on. It's like, would you want a podcast um, if nobody was ever listening? Would it be fun to you um, and why? And I, I really wrestled with it. And I was like, yeah, it would. And why? And I, you know, I, I, I it was months and months ago. It took me a long time to actually launch it, maybe six or seven months ago. But when I was coming up with this idea, it was really just inspired by a great book I read. It was a book called To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. And um, it really speaks to what I just believe is, is so true in sales is that everyone inside of us, uh, no matter who you are, all human beings, we all want to be heard. We all want to be seen. We all want to be understood. And I you know, I was just noticing through it, things throughout my life. I think, um, you know, you probably, same thing when you're, you're starting your podcast, you're kind of noticing things just in your day-to-day and your experiences and, and you go back and you notice things mm-hmm. and you kind of put a framework around it. And so that's what I was, I was noticing things in, in my career. That book is all centered around, we all have the traits to be good at what he deemed as 
moving others. We, you mean we, this we book? You mean this book? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You have, I love when people show it to me because some people don't. And, and when they have that, we, we connect. We just know we get each other. We, we don't even have to go too much into detail about it. But for your listeners who haven't read that book, it's a great uh, book. And it's, um, it's not like most sales books. He's not, a, he, he's not a, a trained salesperson. He's an author. He's a you know, keynote speaker, New York Times bestselling author. And it was just, he was realizing in his day-to-day that, man, as an author, I gotta, I gotta sell my book uh, idea to somebody, to a publisher. I have to you know, convince my kids to, to, to do something every day. I have to mm-hmm. convince myself to do things every single day. So isn't that sales? And, what, and he, so he wanted to dive into that. And that's what the book is. Um, and so, you know, what really inspired me was the premise of that, that like really can all human, what is, what does it mean to sell? What is, mm-hmm. what is that word? It's such a broad term. And what are humans doing on a daily basis, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly to really connect with others and to, you know, sometimes create, you know, with all sales, it's creating change. So how are people creating change in a very human way, using things, just skills that we all have as humans. We were all blessed with two ears and one mouth for a reason. We were all blessed with um, wanting to genuinely, you know, connect with people, um, really try to, uh, you know, we we were blessed with the ability to be kind to others and and that, you know, begets kindness. Just Mm -hmm. soft skills. People call it soft skills. I call them human skills. And um, so we all have these skills and that's what inspired me. And I wanted to, and I called it stories of selling human is because I wanted just to like this, just, I think everyone's unique story helps them um, when, and, and they all, we all do it differently, but our unique stories help us when we have to create change, persuade, convince, or influence others. And that's, I just wanted to showcase that and, and contrast it with professional salespeople. Well, and people love a good story. Everybody loves a good story. I made a living in sales for years telling my customers stories of other customers walking through the same journeys that they were walking through. You know, if, if I had a customer that, that said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, I would say, well, I had a customer that, that had a similar situation, and here's how we solved the problem. Now, I'm going to let you and I dive into it a little bit more. As you talk about, and the reason I have the book, and I'll share a little bit about how I got the book. I have a good friend of mine that teaches marketing and sales at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. I've known him for 30 years. And when I would travel that way, he would say, hey, come and speak to my class. Come and talk to my class about sales and marketing and things like that. And his class gave me the book one day and signed it when I was there speaking for them. And so to your, to your point of now every time I see this book, I'll remember the time I went to ECU and spoke to his class about selling. Alex, when you think about your career in selling, what's the best story that you have from your sales career that you can share? Oh man, this is, I love this question, but it's tough um, because there's so many good ones. Um, There was one time where I'm going to go with a funny one and then like a a, a heartfelt one. Okay. So the funny one was, um, I, I went into, I, I was running late to a meeting. It was uh, just, um, you know, traffic in Philly. I'm going out to meet with this uh, retirement facility for the first time. We were trying to sell them 
uh, our products with Monster and, and with, um, you know, recruiting, digital recruiting products. And I, I, this is my first meeting. I'm, I'm trying to meet this guy. He was with a competitor and it was a big opportunity. It could be big traffic. I didn't leave enough time. I'm late. I'm running like 15 late minutes. It's one of those emailing, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, that sort of thing. On top of that, I walk in and <laughs> I don't even know how to say this, but I walk in and there's some tree like on the way in and I walk in and not without knowing this, and this hasn't happened to me too many times in my life, but a bird literally, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that, on well, my face short, yeah, without saying it, okay? Yes. So I have, I have bird poop on my face without there knowing it. And I walked into this meeting, okay, and um, didn't know it. And he's like, you know, I'm late. I'm like frustrated. He's like, you have something on your, and I like, what? I'm like, you know what? I, I don't, I, I think, you know, I've, I've done too much here. You probably don't really have any respect for me. You don't, you're not going to buy, buy anything from me. I, I'm just, I feel terrible. Don't, don't, don't assume anything. Don't be so, don't be so quick to assume. And it just kind of stopped. There was a funny story and they actually bought and he was a good, good client for years and years and years. But I thought just this, this guy thinks I'm a mess. Um, but um, that was just kind of a human thing that happened to me. So well, here's the thing, man. He, you know, if he really thought you were a crap head, no pun yeah. intended, he wouldn't have bought anything from you, you know? Very, yeah. Yeah. So that's, sorry. That's I, great, I, I, man. That's great. I held, that, that's I, held a great my, I held it back, but okay. So the bird poop story, but the, the more human story is, I, uh, well, maybe the, like the more, the thing I'm most proud of um, is um, a couple of years ago, I'm um, working with a, a client that was a new client. Um, you know, we had just, they had come over from a competitor, um, large national retailer, very, one of my, you know, just not just, I guess you could say best brands that I've ever worked with. Um, and national, global, they're a global brand, and we got them to come over from a competitor, and we were together for years, and there was an opportunity, we never met in person, we always dealt over the phone, everything we did was over the phone, we had, we did business together for a couple of years, and there was an opportunity where we were having a conference in Chicago, and, um, and I was going to be, I happened to be in Chicago, and this person, um, we couldn't, I couldn't travel out to meet her, because she was always on the road all the time, we just could never connect, and this perfect opportunity to connect happened. We had a conference, we invited her, she was gonna be there, she's from Chicago, she's gonna be at this conference. And I was gonna be in Chicago, but in the suburbs, and so I wasn't gonna be able to make the conference. The only way I could make the conference and see her was if I drove from like, you know, the, the suburbs of Chicago in morning rush hour traffic, and I had a meeting in the suburbs, so I could only like literally go and see her for like 10 or 15 minutes in the middle of the conference, and then I had to jet back like it would have been a four hour trip, like wake up at four or five, you know, drive, come back by like 12. And I told her I was going to do that. She said, that's crazy. Don't do that. It's, it's, it's rough, rough. If you're from Chicago or know the traffic, it's hell uh, to pay in the morning. But I said, look, it's the right thing to do. I just want to meet you. And I, I want to like shake your hand, give you a hug, meet you in person, tell you, you know, just, just, we can just talk. We don't, we don't, there was no contract to be signed. There was nothing more than just it was the, I said, I thought, just thought it felt the, like the right thing to do mm -hmm. for me. That's just my approach. And I did that. And, um, you know, years later, like, you know, there was some things where she, 
actually almost went to a competitor for a lower amount and she ended up staying. We did some things for her. And then years later, you know, when I left the company, she even said like, you know, I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll never forget you doing that. And she, you know, and, and, and I think to this day, she, she won't like no matter what I do. So, and I wasn't doing it for anything. Like I wasn't trying to get something from her. I was just being myself and, and just approaching her in that way. And so, yeah, I, I'm really proud of that. When people ask me, some people say, oh, I closed this sale for a hundred thousand dollars and I closed this and yes, I've closed big deals, but it was more of the, that, that statement from her, that feeling from her that, man, that, that like gives you the, that makes you love sales. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is, and, and that's why I wrote kind of why I wrote my first book that's coming out in a couple of months, people buy from people is because at the end of the day, um, and, and, and it's, it's amazing to me, Alex, the greatest, one of the greatest sales quotes that I've ever heard is from a, a guy that's recognized as a leadership expert, Peter Drucker. He said, nothing happens until somebody sells something, but you have to create that relationship and you have to, that's why companies work so hard to create relationships, even virtually, so that they get people to, 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 we, it's not natural for us to part with something. Dave Ramsey said one time that when you spend cash on something, there is a, an emotion that, that happens to it. You actually feel it when you part with, with your cash that you've worked hard for, for something that you get in return. And I love what you said there about it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. When you think about in your career the right things to do, what's the number one credo that you've always used in your, in your career as this is always the right thing to do no matter what? Because I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer this, I'm reminded of a movie that I saw one time called Draft Day. It was about the Cleveland Browns. And the general manager writes on a slip of paper three or four weeks before the draft, he sees this kid named Bontez Mack, this character named Bontez Mack. And he writes on a slip of paper, Bontez Mack, no matter what. What's the one credo that you've lived by in your career, Alex, that you said, I'm going to do this no matter what? It's a, it's a great question, and I don't know if I ever defined it until recently, um, but I was just doing it because it was natural. So one, like, you know, when, when you know, things are um, the right thing to do, they're just, they're natural, they're without agenda. Um, but um, I read a book, uh, so I'm, I, 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 I think this is the best of definition of it, and it's a great book, not on sales necessarily, it's just kind of how we can be more human in our workplaces, and it's an awesome book, it's just called Bring Your Human to Work, great title by Erica Keswin, and uh, she says being, bringing your human to work is honoring relationships. Honoring relationships, for me, is, is the right thing to do, like when you truly honor relationships, you know that they're just not superficial, they're more than that. You know, you're, you're, you can, some people say touch people's lives, you can really affect them, you can be remembered, you can be like something that they, you know, someone that they um, like tell other people about. Mm -hmm. And I think when you honor relationships, 
um, you put in, you, 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 you put them, like you, you make them important. That means you do the things to really put in the work to, um, you know, support it. And you put in the work to, um, you know, really uh, tell that person what they mean to you, not your business, but what they mean to you. Um, and um, it's, it's natural. So I think whenever I've had situations like that happen uh, or come up, I want to grab them because I want to um, do the things. They could be little things. They could be sending someone a card. They could be doing that. I mean, that was, I mean, some people would say it's a big thing. I think it's, you know, kind of a little thing, but they don't have to be, you know, gigantic things, but um, just making sure people know that like they matter to you um, mm -hmm. is, is kind of what's really guided me, I guess you could say. And I think that's so important because we, we're, we're so, we're, we're so, you know, we're so glued, I guess you would say, or we're so addicted to social media and we put something out there. It's like, oh, we've got to generate a hundred likes or 200 likes, or, you know, look at my post, look at this, look at that. And we don't understand a lot of times is that, in life, it is about relationship. It's about developing those things and those relationships. I want you to take me now real quick. I want you to take me through your journey because you've got an interesting journey of how you got from point A to point B. Did you, when you were going to college or, or early in your life, did you, did you want to always go into sales or, or was that kind of a path that you fell into? Yeah, I never really fell into it, um, but I did want to take a different path, probably graduating school. But I mean, you know, it goes way back. I put on LinkedIn, you know, I, uh, I learned sales at a very young age. I was that eight-year-old kid. Um, you know, I think it was in Cub Scouts or something like that, where you get a, uh, a flyer and, um, you know, the whole class is, it competes against uh, each other. And the top sellers get to pick from the catalog. If you sell a certain amount, you get a, to pick and, some of the big prizes at the time was a, a boom box. Um, and I say for all the millennials, that was the, the cool, that was the. Yeah. You held it up on your shoulder. Um, was it, the, was, it, was like, yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was like, it was <laughs> like carrying these, a suitcase on your shoulder. Yeah. You put these cool things called cassettes in there and they played music. And yeah. then, then it actually had a CD player at the time, which was like the, the, the crispest way to listen to music. And I'm like, dang, so I can sell and you'll, you'll give it, I can win this. So can you believe nowadays, man, can you believe, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but can you believe now that you can buy carry-on luggage that's literally the same size as the boombox <laughs> that we had in the 80s? No, no, yeah, no, I would have blown, blown my mind as a kid, but yeah, this was a big, this was a hefty 20-pound, 15-pound electronic device. And but here's I, the thing, was, you had to dance while you were doing it, too. Oh, yeah. So you had to carry the 30-pound the, the boombox on your shoulder. You had to make sure you had the D batteries, which were the big honking batteries in the back of that thing, because you had to have all the power for the bass thrust and, and everything yeah. like that. And you had to be able to dance walking down the street while you had 30 pounds on your shoulder. <laughs> I don't even know if I – I was so small as a kid. I just wanted it in my room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went door to door as a kid, like, you know, just selling hams and cheeses and Christmas meats. And you were the Mark Cuban of your day, man, because Cuban was, talks about selling trash bags yeah, door to door. Yeah. yeah. 
And most kids did it at a church. They set up a table and they or got their mom to sell for them or dad at, at their work. But I was like, no, screw that. I'm going to cover every house in this neighborhood. And I did it and it was fun. And then I also had my first job, paying job, was a newspaper boy. So I, I mean, I think that's like the best job that a kid could ever have because you learn customer service, you learn, you know, organization, you learn, you know, just work ethic and, and, um, you well, know, you just, forgot you, one. Just talking to people. You forgot one. You 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 learned product placement because when you product threw placement. the paper, yeah, oh, that it was had huge. to land perfectly on I the front failed. porch. I, I, yeah, I failed at that miserably. Um, but then I learned. Yeah, but you know, and and so that's why you're how, not quarterback in the Redskins. No, that, yeah, maybe maybe. <laughs> um, but I learned that everybody wants it differently. Like just what you think is good, like putting it on like their front step and maybe like a little bit away. That person, yeah, they could give you complaints. They you were actually paid on your complaints and your, um, I forget what they call them, but like your, um, you know, people giving you uh, compliments. And so, um, you know, if, if people, if one or two people gave you complaints that you could get your pay docked. Mm-hmm. And like, I would be frustrated. Like that person didn't like that. Like why? So like, I would, you know, I struggle with that. I didn't know. Like, so, so, you know, sometimes I would talk to, try to talk to them. Like, what do you need? You know, how, how do you want me to do this and stuff like, so anyways, you learn a lot from that. Um, and so, but yeah, throughout my life, like graduating college, I was a communications major, um, wanted to get into PR and corporate communications, never really found anything, um, right out of school. And I took my first job was back to door to door sales. I was like, what can I do? I just, I had to work. And it was literally like a multi-level marketing company. And, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was learning sales, but I feel like I, I was learning the wrong way to sell. So I was learning kind of a manipulation type of a sale. Um, like in, you know, you were going into doors and you were like trying to, you know, fear people. They called it the Fuji factors, fear of loss, urgency, greed, indifference. Um, you know, so, you, you know, and manipulate manipulation works. It does. Yeah. Marketers use it. And it, we, we all are being manipulated daily without even realizing it. But, you know, so I was trying to go to your uh, door, like selling you, um, you know, pizzas or oil changes, or it was a coupon card. I was just trying mm-hmm. to sell you this coupon card for 20 bucks, um, but it paid for itself. So I would go, Hey, Brian, you know, I'm running around here with pizza hut. Hey, do you eat pizza? Yeah. How about every pizza? Next time you order something, you order something for free. You get something for free. The next time you order, it sounds like a great deal. All right, check this out. And I was just trying to get these coupon cards into your hands. And mm-hmm. then I would go through and point out all the coupons and then close the door and, and try to sell you in like a minute. Um, and you learn a lot about talking to people that way and, and yourself, it was full commission, just you dropped, get dropped off in a neighborhood. But then the whole deal was like, you were trying to work your way up. And then I got really skewed out because you were trying to manipulate people to come into the company and, you know, kind of fear of loss them into joining. And it was really bizarre, but yeah, I've all been in sales my whole life and kind of, um, in my career, just in different roles and, mm-hmm. um, I think I've just loved being able to, um, it, you know, cre- it's, it's creative. There's an art and a yeah. science behind it. And I just love like the infinite possibilities that can happen with conversations. And that's always interested me. Like where, what are people thinking wh- when people say certain things? What, how should I respond? And it's not perfect. I still don't, I, there's, you can never be perfected. That's another thing. It's a calling. It's a craft. Mm-hmm. It's something that's that right. you, even the best, best of the best. I don't care who you are. They screw up. They screw up all, all the time, actually. And yeah. they try to learn from it. 
You know something? I, I love what you said there. And, and there's a couple things that I'm going to, I'm going to take the conversation in, in a different yeah, yeah. direction off of what cool. you said. The first thing is I remember when I took a route sales territory for the first time, I took a mature sales territory. I was replacing a guy that had been there a couple of years who had replaced a guy that had been there for 15 years. He replaced a guy that built the territory was kind of a legend in the company. So I had all this lineage that I was following from a sales perspective and I was 25 years old. And one of the, the older veteran reps came up to me one day and put his, put his arm around me, put my, put his hand on my shoulder and he called me sexy. He said, sexy. He said, it's going to take you three years to, to figure out what you're doing. And he was spot on because the thing that I had to learn Alex was consistency. I had to learn that, that, you know, customers wanted to be seen at this time and, and this, so I knew every Tuesday morning, I was going to be at the Shake Shop in Gallup Police, Ohio, on Jackson Pike, talking to Jeff, the owner. Every Tuesday morning, unless I was on vacation or something happened, I was there. I mean, like, you could find, you could know where to find me. And and a couple of times the company did this, because this was before everybody really had cell phones. And if they wanted to get a hold of you, like, oh, yeah, here's Brian's root list. Oh, he's going to be at the Shake Shop. They call, hey, is Brian there? Yeah, look, you know, we'll talk to him in a second. It was consistency. Does that, that's the thing. Here's where I want to spin our conversation forward. I love something you said that you learned early in your sales career that now has become a part of our vernacular called FOMO, fear of missing out. When you think about selling today and people having FOMO, what can salespeople do to calm that FOMO and really bring that human touch back in to selling to where that FOMO is reduced or, or eradicated altogether? <laughs> Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, what are they like fear? What, are, what fears are they missing out on? I guess I would, I would ask that salesperson. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's, look, I, I think in, in sales, we all, anyone that's, you know, selling for a living or has to convince somebody for something for their idea to, to be heard or anything, all of that, I think it, it all comes down to asking, how am I really like trying to help this other person and help make their lives better and the world better afterwards? And I'm not really, I, I, don't, I won't have any fear of missing out on anything if that's my ultimate goal or aim in the end. Like, it doesn't matter what job I take, it doesn't matter, you know, where I think my career could have gone or, you know, like what, it, 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 like the fears kind of subside when you just genuinely have that, you know, guide moving you forward. And, you know, it sounds like we're basically, oh, I just want to like help people. Well, Okay, you know, that that can be a guide to your career. Some people, you know, don't or some people, you know, they want to help, you know, people heal and, and they're working at a hospital. But if you just genuinely want to help people like sales is a good place to start. And I don't think you can really miss out on anything because that's so all encompassing that, you know, you can really take that anywhere. And, you know, here's the thing. You have a lot of entrepreneurs out there that go, I'm not a salesperson. 
but yet you open the door to a business and you expect people to come through your doors. So you are selling something, whether you own a tire shop, whether you own a massage parlor, whether you own a coffee shop, whether you own a restaurant or a pizza shop, you, you are a salesperson and you, ha you have a belief so strongly in what you do and how you do it that you want to share it with, with the, this, the population in, in large and in general. When you think back, and I love you talking about your early days in your sales career, when you go through your career and you go through your life, tell me about the biggest obstacle that you overcame. Um, yeah, this is a, you know, a tough one. I mean, I can go at a lot of things. I mean, I've, I've, I've changed, um, I've, I've, I've like had to go from, um, you know, going from selling door to door to, you know, selling in an office, like in a call center to like, you know, working with, uh, in a completely new industry and in, in, in newspapers with, I mean, that was a pretty big obstacle where I had zero, like it was one of those sales jobs. I, I went into a completely new industry, newspapers, didn't know anything, human selling to human resources. People didn't know anything about HR, didn't know anything about them and was given a territory and like, here you go. Um, here, like, and this is a bit professional. I'll, I'll talk professional first and maybe we can get into personal, but professional, here's a territory. Just here's, I, I, here's, here's how I present for an hour. You know, here's a list of people, go my calls. No, no other coaching than that. And here's your quota and go get after it. Really? Like, I don't have any leads. Like you're not giving me any no, total new business. Yeah. Go after it. So like, I just, I said, look, I'm not going to fail at this. I'm going to try to like, you know, ask as many questions as I can, listen to people that are doing it, try to go out with people on sales calls, not be afraid of picking. That was, that was tough. Like just being afraid, just, I mean, anybody that starts there, I don't care who you are. Like the first time you start selling something new and you pick up that phone, it's freaking scary. Like, mm -hmm. because you don't know what the hell the person's going to say on your script, off of your script. You don't know enough about your product. To, to, to know how to combat objections, you know? So it's, I don't care. I, I, I know people are afraid that have been doing it 15 years when they start selling something new because you just don't know all the possibilities and you don't ever want to act like you don't know. So that was a big obstacle. And um, I had people saying, yeah, I don't know if this guy's going to succeed. And I ended up, you know, being one of the top sellers. I, I stayed there for five or six years, had a bunch of promotions and a big, uh, um, somebody people look to on the team and I started from zero. So, so how did that, that, that drive you? So how did yeah. that, I didn't mean to jump in there, but how did that drive yeah. you? Because most people, one of two things happens. When somebody says, I don't know if they're going to make it, the person that is, that is battling that fear, there's a part of them that goes, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm yeah. not going to make it. And then there's the other person that's the other way around that goes, forget them. I'm going to make it just to show them that I can. And I'm going to make it just to prove to them that I'm going to make it. And then there's a lot of people right in the middle that depending on the day, they either believe that they can conquer the world or they believe that tomorrow they're going to turn into resignation and go do something else. When you speak to people like that, Alex, and that's why I wanted to jump in there because I, I love where you were going with that. And I want to pull more conversation out 
that way, when you speak to people that are going through that, that are right there in the middle, what do you talk to them about? How do you help them and get, get them through that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the questions you ask yourself and the stories you tell yourself are, are kind of what is, is going to kind of define it. And then people call it interrogative self-talk. And you ask yourself, you know, can I do this? And, and I, I like asking, can I, can I do this? And then you go back in your mind, you, you challenge yourself and go, okay, like, I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Like, I can do this. It's not like, oh, I'm going to just do this. I'm just, some, some people think like, you should just say like, I'm going to conquer and no matter what. And then if you don't, then it's a huge letdown. Um, instead of like, like, I just said like, can I do this? I'm not going to listen to like anybody else's like outside. I just, you know, can I do this? I mean, can I pick up the phone and call people? Yeah, I've done that. Can I, you know, can I, you know, learn something, uh, you know, a, a new sales process? Like, yeah, I've done that. Like, can I, um, you know, talk to people over the phone? Can I meet people? Can I, and these are, whenever I a answer those can I statements, they're always like, you know, things that I, I, I tell, I, I end up challenging myself and realizing myself that I, I can do that. And I, I gain confidence that way. So I think asking yourself those questions and, you know, going back in your experiences and finding out if, if those things support what you're trying to do. Um, but then always just saying like, I, I, I feel like I'm always the optimist, but I'm not, I think, you know, there's a difference between just being a consummate optimist and being an optimist that can also realize the, the situation that they're in. So like um, people call it the Stockdale paradox. Um, so the good to great is a book that that's in. It's all about like mm -hmm. this, this guy, Jim Stockdale, he was in, um, you know, Hanoi Hilton with John McCain. And, you know, this is, this is basically in, in uh, he was a prisoner of war. And he said, the people that didn't make it out were the optimists. They thought, oh, I'm going to make it out by Christmas. I'm going to make it out. Christmas came and went, they didn't get out. But he said, the people that um, did make it out were people that, you know, were optimists, but they never lost sight of the um, reality that they, that they faced. So it was like, I, I, I like, they never lost faith, faith that they'll prevail in the end. They knew their situation. They said, okay, like we're in, we're in prison, but they're like, I'm also never, I, I, I will get out of this. Like I will, I know that there's light at the end of this tunnel, but they realized the situation that they were in. They just didn't say, I'm going to get out of this. So that's what I think, you know, just realizing the situation you're in, but never losing faith that you're going to prevail. If I said to you, Alex, if you could change one thing about this, what would it be? Change one thing about anything, anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if like, I, I, I also like to think it's not my responsibility to, 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 to assume anything needs to be changed necessarily. Um, so I want to, um, you know, first approach things like that, but if I could, you know, change one thing just about life in general is that we all, you know, kind of see each other. Take a, take a step back, take a few more seconds and just say we have, there's another story behind Brian. There's another story behind Alex that I can't see just by looking at him on the outside or the color of his skin or, you know, even maybe, you know, by just, you know, what he's wearing or what he maybe says a few few seconds. Maybe I just heard him speak a few seconds. You know, everyone has a backstory and it's really, really interesting. Like, 
crazy sometimes. You'll be like, no way. And sometimes they might not tell you right off the bat, but if you're curious enough to like, to, you know, take a step and, and, and get to know them, like it just builds on itself. People will start telling you stories. That's why I love the stories of selling human. That's why I love this intentional encourager. Cause when you, you know, when you put that intent, you show intention and you're, you're not just, it's not superficial. So, you know, I think you can give surface level encouragement, like great job, Brian, or you can just actually go deeper and actually be specific and, and, and try to like understand someone's story and then give them that much more powerful encouragement. And you get, you get a lot of connections. And I think just the world would be a better place if we all do that. So that's why I just love kind of your, your whole concept behind this. Well, I appreciate that, Alex. And I'll tell you this is that stories, people love stories. They love to connect with something from someone else's life that they can go, oh yeah, I, I, I've been through that. I've, I've done that. I remember when I lost my dad seven and a half years ago, when someone else you know, I had a couple of friends, really good friends that ended up losing their dads pretty, pretty suddenly like I did. And I was like, man, here, been there, done that. And we were able to help each other by just calling back. And, I, and I'll tell that story from time to time about the day my dad passed away. And I can still think about, you know, what I was doing and where I was at and things like that. You have, an, and I want to go here real quick in the little bit of time that we have your, your story. And I love the way that you just seamlessly transitioned about stories. Cause this is what this is about is telling inspiring stories from inspirational people. Your story is real neat. And, and we talked about this before we got started recording. You come from a biracial family. And for a lot of people that might be a stigma, but for you, you're very proud of that fact. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about how you found out about that and, and how you dug a little bit deeper into your lineage. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it was probably not until high school. Like we, my dad, um, it's on my dad's side of the family. Both of his parents uh, were mixed. Um, one was grew up in DC in the forties. Um, um, and his, uh, my grandfather was mixed visibly so you can see, you know, a light-skinned black man. Um, my grandmother was a light-skinned um, black woman, but she was so light-skinned that back then, you know, she needed to pass to be white, you know, meaning like people didn't really, couldn't really tell, but she was so light-skinned um, that, that people, um, you know, really mistook her for white. So um, growing up in DC, I mean, um, you know, to get the, the mortgage, to get the loan on their house, my mom, my grandmother had to go get the loan. To go to restaurants, my, my grandmother had to take my dad to restaurants. To go to swimming pools, my grandmother had to take my mom or my, my, my father. And so, and this despite the fact that my grandfather was this really accomplished black doctor. He was one of the first black doctors, pediatricians in all of Washington, D.C. He was a real famous guy. Knew uh, Charles Drew, the guy that invented plasma. Charles Drew was also a very, very light-skinned black man. And so... Um, yeah, I didn't really find it out until kind of like high school. And it was funny, like people would, my dad kind of like, you know, told me about his background. I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't really, we didn't really talk about it too much until, you know, um, 
kind of like, I grew up a little bit and um, it was funny because I, I would tell people in high school, they would find out and my black friends, oh, you got a drop of black blood in you, you black man, you, you're a brother, you a brother, man. And I said, well, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a white guy. Like you look at me, I'm a white guy, but I'm proud of that history because it's part of me. And um, I don't visibly uh, identify as black. My dad does, did, um, because he had an Afro and he, um, you know, he, 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 like he's visibly a black man. He, he might have white skin, but he, um, you know, light, uh, darker skin, but that's the thing you just don't know about people. Like he was growing up and he, his, his, his roommate in uh, high school and a boarding school wouldn't let him, uh, the, the father didn't want my dad to board with his white son because he was black. You know, that's the, the what he grew up at. So like that, I was always taught at a young age, like we are so much more than like our skin color, everyone's equal. He believed in the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings. He believed we're all connected on this earth, no matter our country. He was not a, you know, about just countries. Um, he thought, you know, the entire world was part of one country, the you know human race or the earth country, whatever you want to call it. And um, you know, so my dad. Um, I love talking about uh, him. We could, we could have a whole hour long conversation, but I'll just end off with, I mean, he really, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, framed how I see the world because, um, you know, he, 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 he knew so much about, he really knew that people inside were so much more important than what was on the outside. And so powerful. Martin Luther King said so it best, you know, yeah, I care more about the, a content of your character than the color of your skin. You know? So powerful, so powerful. And, and I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because again, it, it, it shapes who we are, not only the, the experiences that we have in life, but the, the ancestral part of our life, you know, that that's why like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, they have really built a, a booming business because people are so interested, you know, where did I come from? Why do I have, you know, this characteristic or, you know, and, and I'll say this, my dad's grandfather was, was Indian. And so my grandmother had Indian ancestry in her. My, my dad, when he would grow a beard or when he wouldn't shave for three or four days, he would get a real red tint to his beard. I have zero red in my beard. I'm trying to fight off the gray. My son, oh man, when he grows his beard, it's the red just pops it's awesome. It's in awesome. his beard. It, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how generationally that we find those things, those hidden characteristics in us that just manifest in certain generations. Like, oh, I, I had no idea about that. I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story and, and things like that. And, and man, what a heritage to come from, Alex. Can I Your say grand, one last yeah, story? Absolutely. Yeah, one last story. That please, I, please. I, so how they were mixed. I mean, people were like, how, how did races mix? That, that, like, you know, early on, I mean, there was a lot of segregation in the country, right? And um, so, like, you know, they, they it was, it was like generational. It, it, we have um, on my mother, on grandmother's side, she grew up in the South and there was a, 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 a Confederate general um, that, that 
you know, had a, a child out of wedlock with one of his slaves. And, um, you know, um, there was a whole family kind of down the line. And that's kind of how, you know, kind of how my, my grandmother came to be. And now we would look and my dad would always talk about this white, you know, Confederate general. And um, he was a historic history teacher. And, you know, right now, like, you know, we would look at that and be like, that is, and it, and it, and it is, it, it's a terrible kind of thing that had to happen. Um, but he also um, gave money. And, and this is, you know, this isn't to condone anything that he did, but he also knew that he had to support. So he, he gave money secretly to, 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 to his, um, you know, that, that side of his family. Um, and it, it was just really, people are complicated. Let's just say that. Like you said, it's, it's complicated. You know, our lives are complicated. That is so and, fascinating to me when, you know, because as you go back and trace your family heritage and your family history, you now can tie it back on, on one side of your family all the way back to the Civil War and specifically know this is where I came from. This sure. is the yeah. lineage that I came from. And I, I think it's, we found a book in my wife's grandparents' house. We lived next door to my wife's grandparents. Her grandmother passed away a few years ago, but her grandfather's still alive at 98. And her grandmother kept a little notebook of the family side of the, you know, so we know when, when my wife's great grandfather was born, her great grandmother, who she didn't know on her dad, on her dad's side or granddad's side. And so we're starting to trace some of those things back. And on her great grandfather's side, we go back to like, he was born in like 1889 because he died when he was 96 back in, in 85. Yeah. And so we've got that little notebook and I told my wife, I said, put that up, Yeah. put that somewhere. Yeah, you know, we've got my grandmother's family Bible, put that up, protect yeah. it because those pieces, those are pieces of history for everybody's family that you can't replace. They're yeah. invaluable. Yeah. I, I, I want to finish here and Alex, man, you have been, this has been such a cool uh, intentional encouragement podcast. I want you to leave the audience today as we close out with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Um, that I've done with other two. Doesn't matter. To What's me, your biggest me, piece of I intentional think, encouragement? If I, I would say, Alex, encourage me, man, I need some encouragement. What would you tell me? I think I would, you know, I, I would tell you that you're, that I believe in you. Um, I, I think that, you know, first off, you're, you, you really get to know people. I, we talked a whole lot about it and encouragement isn't, yeah, I don't believe in superficial, <laughs> you know, if you called your, your podcast, like the, in, the encourager, I don't know if it would have the same weight, you know, like I should have done that. I should have taken a picture with the encourager. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was like a big smile on yeah, your face. Like people exactly. would be like, who is this jerk? Um, but, um, <laughs> they say you know, that anyway. Um, it's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um no like I uh when when I say that like I I want to really get to know people and I don't like say like I just believe in you just to say I believe in you like I I want to know you and and, yeah. and know what you're trying to do and what you want and what you're you're telling yourself you want to do and you know you're you're saying I will do this like I'm going to start a podcast like hey Brian I I believe you will man I I'm here to support you and when 
when other people say that, like, you know, and, and they say it in different ways. I think people say, I believe in you in different ways. They just, hey, you want to jump on a call and I'll, I'll listen to you. You know, I'm not going to judge you. Just, hey, I might challenge you. I think you can challenge people. That's another thing. Like, I think people mistake, like, you know, encouragement, like you can't challenge, you can challenge people, but then, you know, don't come from a place of genuine, like being really genuine. Like, mm-hmm. man, I just want you to, to, to do what you want, man. I want you to be where you want to be. And I'm here to help in any way. And, you know, tell me, what, I have an idea. I have an, a way to do something. It might not be the way. And here's just what I think, but you're going to do, you're going to do it. And like, no matter what. And I believe you can't, you can get there, Brian. So go man, do that's, it. that's awesome. What a, what a great way to end the intentional encourager podcast today with Alex Smith. You can find him at his stories of selling human podcast, Alex, tell everybody where else they can find you in your content. Yeah, man. LinkedIn's the best. Just, you know, Alex C. Smith on, on um, LinkedIn. Uh, my hashtag is selling human. Um, and like he said, I have a website stories of selling human. You can Google it. I'm on, um, you know, the podcast itself is on wherever you get your podcast, Apple, um, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. And I'd love to, to hear from you. I think these audiences, um, you know, would really mesh and, and like to hear what he, we both have to say. So thank you. No, for no, no question. And, and literally this dude is a Washington Redskins fan. It's the funniest thing, man. The, the first time we talk and he tells me he's a Redskins fan. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> HTTR. Yeah. HTTR. Alex Smith, you're the best man. Thank you so much for joining us today on the intentional encourager podcast. Thanks brother. Thanks for having me on. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.